In a letter to the editor published by the Burlington Free Press, one commentator described Act 60, an education financing law in Vermont, as the state's titanic. He argued that this law is slowly but surely sinking Vermont into icy dark waters of uncontrolled and unanchored education-related spending. I assume he used the hyperbolic comparison to grab the reader's attention, and it worked. So in this episode, we are going to unpack Act 60 and the financial debacle that it represents. Until 1997, Vermont public schools were funded by the town's property taxes. Wealthy towns, or gold towns as they were known, for example, ski resort towns like Stowe and Manchester with its designer outlet stores, these gold towns were able to spend more money per student, say upwards of $5,000 per student, and they had low property taxes. In comparison, lower-income towns had higher property taxes and spent less per student, say $2,000 or $3,000 per student. In 1997, this was brought to the Vermont Supreme Court, which ruled that the disparity in tax resources was unconstitutional. The case is known as the Brigham decision, in which the court directed the Vermont legislature to fix the newly identified problem. Legislators passed Act 60, which decreed that taxes from every town would now be pooled together into a state fund and then redistributed. So what exactly did that entail? Simply put, Act 60 decreed that funds would be transferred from higher-income towns to lower-income towns. This proved to be very unpopular, and there was significant pushback from the public, and therefore legislators amended Act 60 into Act 68, which was passed in 2003. Act 60's redistribution of funds still continues with Act 68, but now it is couched in a very complicated funding mechanism. Act 68 created a notoriously complex new funding formula, according to which Vermonters who earn more than $136,000 a year will have to pay a portion of their property taxes towards public school education funding. Whereas Vermonters who earn less than $136,000 will pay a portion of their income towards education spending. This is known as income sensitivity. Two-thirds of Vermonters qualify for it. Okay, let me reiterate. One-third of Vermonters who fall in the higher income category pay a portion of their property taxes for education spending, while the remaining two-thirds of Vermonters pay a portion of their income taxes for education spending. Now, many in Vermont argue that richer people should subsidize lower-income homeowners, but people who earn up to $136,000 a year or nearly twice the median family income cannot be considered as 
lower-income homeowners. In fact, they belong to the middle class. As a result, Act 68 subsidizes or makes cheaper education spending for middle-class Vermonters, who in turn buy more of it. As a result, we've seen the number of teachers and administrators grow considerably, even though the number of students in Vermont has decreased. Today, Vermont has the lowest student-teacher ratio in the nation and the fourth highest spending per student, $18,000 per student, compared to the national average of about $11,000 per student. Here I would like to share an extended quote on this issue by Art Wolf, a University of Vermont professor and frequent commentator on the Vermont economy. Wolf writes, quote, Middle and upper middle class Vermonters have their taxes reduced because of income sensitivity. And any time the government subsidizes the middle class, it's going to be expensive because most people are in the middle class. Subsidizing a program that benefits the middle class is not only expensive for the state as a whole, but it also gives those same people an incentive to spend more on education. When the price of anything goes down, people buy more of it. Consequently, when income sensitivity lowers the cost of education, Vermonters buy more of it by having more teachers and staff in our schools. Vermonters may not understand how Act 60 or Act 68 works, but they do respond to incentives built into Vermont's education finance system. There is a case to be made for helping lower-income Vermonters by giving them a break on their school taxes, but that case doesn't include giving $1,400 to the average homeowner who earns $70,000 or $80,000 a year. End quote. Since Act 60 and Act 68 radically transformed Vermont's education landscape, let us examine what has followed. Education spending across Vermont towns has become equitable, but three other unexpected consequences have followed. First, as I discussed, education spending has ballooned. Second, we have seen no corresponding improvements in educational outcomes. And third, many public schools have shut down, while in wealthy towns like Manchester, new private schools have popped up and become overnight successes. Rob Roper is the president of the Ethan Allen Institute, a policy think tank in Vermont. Rob has years of experience dealing with this complex issue, and I recently interviewed him on my TV show, Dialogues with Meg Hansen. Here is an excerpt from that interview where Rob unpacks Act 60 and Act 68 and explains why we haven't seen corresponding improvements in educational outcomes. Well, wow, that, I mean, that's a big question to answer, but there, I think the important point is that there haven't been, as you pointed out. Uh, Act 60 is now, it was 1997 yeah. that it passed, so it's had plenty of time to do its thing. Right. And what we've seen is we've lost about 30,000 kids from our public school system. That's about 30%, okay. uh, which is huge. You know, if this is the greatest education system that the states have to offer, how come we're losing customers, as it were? Um, we, even though there's fewer students, 
the costs have ballooned. I mean, exploded. And the reason why is because nobody is accountable for public education under Act 60. Uh, if you want to complain to your state legislator who, you know, they, they collect the money and pool yeah. the money, you say, hey, why, why aren't the schools getting anybody? Well, that's because the budgets are being passed at the local level. But then you go to the local people and say, hey, why are my taxes going up and we're not getting anything for the school? Well, it's the state issue. So it goes back and forth. And, be, and I, I think that's part of the design. You well, know, yeah, I mean, it, it, everybody says, why would, this is a mess. It's terrible. Why would anybody design a system like this? Yeah. Well, if, if your objective is to educate children, it is a terrible mess in an equitable way for the taxpayers. Right. It's a, it, it is a mess. But if your design is to extract the most amount of money oh, wow. with the least amount of accountability oh. to fuel your own uh, you know, special interests, right. it's a Swiss watch. And it's been working that way for 30 years. And the teachers' unions right. and the special interests that are surrounding the, uh, the education establishment have gotten a, a ton of money and a ton of power. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming even more decentralized. I mean, we talk about Act 60, but the latest w thing we've had is Act 46, yeah. which is eliminating the, the local school boards. Right. So there's even less accountability at the local level. It's only going to get worse. It's, only, it's a grab of power. It's a grab of money. And the people who are... Uh, not being served well by this are the children right. and the taxpayers. So the crux of this problem is the lack of accountability. As different groups are responsible for raising and spending the education funds, which is exacerbated by the greed and power grab of special interest groups that are benefiting from the status quo. What are some realistic solutions to this predicament? Here is what Rob had to say. Well, I, I would like to see, there, there are a couple things you could do. Okay. If, if the state is going to be responsible for collecting the tax money, mm -hmm. then they should be responsible for spending the tax money. You have to put those two things together. Right now, right. the towns determine how much we're going to spend, and oh. the state is responsible oh. for raising the money. Okay. So, and that's where you get the fingers pointing oh, okay. in, in the other directions. Right, I see. So, I, I would actually, usually I, I'm in favor of local control, but as you pointed out, this is a much more equitable way to fund uh, education. But the state should be, you know, we're going to control, if we're going to be raising the taxes, we're going to be controlling the spending, and therefore we're accountable for, for both ends of that equation. Okay. So that's an important thing. Okay. But for the kids, the most important thing for kids to get the outcomes up. School and, choice. And we have school choice in Vermont. It's the oldest school choice system in the country. It's the most comprehensive, the most dynamic. The problem with it is it only serves about 90 towns uh, throughout the state. It's Why is that? Because the way our law is, is if you do not have a public school within your district, then you get the money to send your child to the public or private or independent school of your choice. Right. And there are 90 districts or so that don't have a public oh. school servicing the district. Right. And, uh, and we, that, St. Johnsbury Academy, Burn Burton Academy here in Manchester, right. Right. Uh, Thetford Academy, the Linden Institute. Um, you look at all these schools that have uh, big ones and small ones that have grown up in this wonderful economic opportunity of being able to reach out to customers who have the voucher, essentially, right. yeah. it's called tuitioning in Vermont, right. but they get a tuition voucher, essentially, yeah. Yeah. to send their kid to the school, and you have people competing for th those resources, and they provide great services for the kids. We need to have more of that dynamic. We need to be expanding that. Okay. Unfortunately, under Act 46, school consolidation of districts, they're trying to 
squeeze those independent schools. So the, the way out of this mess is expanding school choice. I think so. And there's some really cool ways that we can, uh, you know, tweak the system to create the incentives to have a better outcome for lower money as well. Okay. Thank you for explaining this, Rob. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Write to me at megpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook on my Facebook page, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, where you can watch interviews from my TV show. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes or online on SoundCloud. New episodes every Tuesday with bonus Thursday thoughts. Until next time, I'm Meg Hansen, and you've been listening to Writing What's Left.